Have you heard the birds sing, the trees breathe, and the rain fall? The stories we tell ourselves are what create our reality. Hi, I'm Julia, your host, and you're listening to Terra Stories, the podcast that will awaken your mind to new perspectives, to reconnect to yourself, to nature, and to become an actor of change in tomorrow's world. Have you ever felt part of something bigger? Something that the word we created did not manifest? Well, we are part of nature. Nature is the great center of everything. It is our home and where we come from. Earth, not humanity, is the center of life, the center of creativity said John Stanley Rowe, ecologist and botanist. He represented for one of the first times in our culture an ecocentric worldview, placing nature at the center, not humanity. Ecocentrism reflects that Homo sapiens evolved from the web of life and that other species are relatives. Having this point of view allows us to reconnect to who we really are, to our place on earth and to realize that each living being is interconnected. We depend on each other because we are all nature. That if we want to go well, we have to reconnect to who we are and where we come from. I remember when I really understood that, I felt very liberated. So connected to the birds, the fish, the trees. I felt that we were all happy to be here. And we all wanted the same thing, to stay here, in peace. For this second introductory episode, I'm happy to introduce you to Tanya Roa, a wildlife, environmental and social justice advocate, Tanya will take you on a rethinking path of our place on Earth, from anthropocentrism to ecocentrism. She will share with you her passion for nature, her origins, guide you to reimagine the world you live in, and share with you the actions you can take to act for planet Earth and reconnect to nature, what you are part of. Well, hi, everyone. My name is Tanya. I should probably start off by saying, excuse me if my voice sounds weird. I'm a little under the weather. But I'm super excited to be here. Thank you, Julia, for having me. Today, I just wanted to talk about what I'm really passionate about, and that's nature and how we as humans connect to nature. In many indigenous cultures, they don't even have a word for nature because that's just how embedded we are into the living world because we're living as well. But I do feel like in a lot of cultures, Western cultures, you could say the dominant one, 
we've kind of lost that idea that we are part of nature and we tend to separate ourselves. So a lot of the work that I do, spreading awareness through my articles, through campaigns, just spreading awareness any way I can, volunteering with local organizations, local environmental organizations. It's really all about trying to refine or reconnect with nature, trying to revitalize that, nourish it, to make sure we don't lose it again. And the reason why that's so important for me is because that's where I find peace. I find peace outdoors. I love hiking. I love snorkeling. I love animals, especially wild animals. So during quarantine, when, you know, of course, there was a lot going on. We were all very stressed. We weren't really sure what was happening. One of the things that kept me going was hobby I decided to start, which was photography. I don't feel like an expert at photography, but... I don't really feel like you need to be an expert at everything. If it's just something you enjoy, you know, you just get out and do it. And especially with nature, we shouldn't be thinking, oh, I have to be a professional climber. I have to be a professional swimmer or else I can't enjoy nature. And that's not true. Nature should be for everyone, no matter what your skills are, your beliefs, your what nature you have around you. So that's a started get me, getting me going because I always liked hiking. But when I took uh, my mom's camera that she had stored for like 10 years, wasn't using. So I was like, this is mine now. <laughs> so I just got it <laughs> and started taking pictures on my walks of gophers. I live in, for context, I live in Los Angeles, California. So here we have like pocket gophers, a lot of birds, like blue jays, a lot of lizards. We're kind of in this mix of mountain and desert and beach. So just any animals that like those different landscapes. And that reminded me that there are so many details in nature that we tend to miss because we don't observe or pay attention as much as we should. Because again, we're separating ourselves from every other species, from the waters, from the mountains, the ecosystems around us. And we lose the importance of the lessons that come with that. When I started taking pictures, I started realizing the little things. Like if I realized, oh, a bird is crouching down next to a lake, that bird is about to hunt a fish. And so I would crouch down. And as soon as, you know, I saw the bird doing that, I just click, 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 go, go, go. And I went through my pictures and realized, oh my gosh, this is amazing. Like look at every little movement that bird is doing to catch a meal. We as in people in the global north that tend to have more food and resources than others we don't tend to think about these things because you just go to a supermarket, you know, you have your money, you pay for that food, you take it home, you open up the plastic packaging, there's your dinner. Of course, it's not everyone. And that is definitely one issue that we need to address. But just realizing how we actually do need to do that. There are people that are doing that. There are people that are growing our food. There are people that are hunting for our food in a, in a sense. And we just lose that connection because of all these systems and obstacles we have in place. So for me, the, the real transformation that's needed is taking down those systems and rethinking them, redesigning them completely. And when we create these new systems, that is when we can again reconnect with nature and create systems that actually put us in line with other species. So one concept I really love to talk about is ego versus echo and if you've seen graphics usually ego is like a pyramid and so they put human a human figure on top and then below is um, 
animals we tend to like the most, maybe dogs, cats in some areas. Um, it could be cows in other areas, depending where you're from. Then usually starts with like mammals, right? So like humans, other mammals, maybe marine mammals next. Then you get down to like birds. Then you get down to, and this is going down the pyramid. So each one is like, because it's a hierarchy, each one is like a lower level. And so then you get to maybe reptiles, and at the very bottom are like fungi, like things that you don't even know. Are these real? Are these animals? Like things that you, things, quote unquote, living things that maybe just feel so separate from you. So when we look at this ego model and some of the ones that I've actually really liked have a man figure on top and then a woman figure on bottom. And you can put that with other things, right? You can put a white person on top with a black person on the bottom. So also... This model isn't just between us and other species. It's us between ourselves. We create hierarchies within the human race as well. So that's important to keep in mind too. And every system, every dominant system that we have is based on this model, this egotistical model that we are above other species. So we can do whatever we want. And that is why we pollute waterways. That is why we degrade soil. And then it hurts us in the, in the long run because no matter who you are, you need fresh water. You need to drink fresh water. So if you pollute that waterway, you're hurting yourself. No matter who you are, you need food. If you degrade soils, if you lose all those microbial networks, um, mycelial networks, all that fungi in the soil, you're not going to have nutritious food and that's hurting you. So realizing that this model doesn't work at the end of the day, maybe for a while for profits, it's obviously you know benefiting some people. That's why they want to keep these systems. But for many of the rest of us, it's not working. And eventually we'll get to those people too, because we just need these things to live, to survive. And so the ego versus echo model really encourages us to go towards echo. And if you've seen that graphic, it's more of a circle. And so you have the human and the man and the woman, and then you have all these different animals, the fungi, and it's all one circle. So there's no hierarchy anymore, because no matter where you end up in the circle, Everyone is seen as equal, every individual, every species. And I just think tapping into that is so amazing because when we do that, it transforms everything, your mindset, the way we govern, the way we set up societal norms, the way we think about our place in these ecosystems. And again, this isn't like new. Many cultures already do this. They just don't get the credit that they deserve. And they are often on the sidelines on frontline communities. So one way we can actually tap into this ego or psycho model is by looking towards them. How are they still living? What kind of traditions are they doing? Not in a way that culturally appropriates, of course, we don't want to harm them either, but in a way that acknowledges these people have had traditions and wisdom and knowledge production for centuries they've lived with the land for so long we can learn from them and we can work with them and really uplift them as well because they deserve it for all this time um just afro-indigenous culture specifically it's it's important to keep all of this in mind when we think of what kind of future we want to create because it's not just I know a lot of times we say for future generations, but it's for us as well, who are living right now, for even older generations, if they could just have, you know, five years left. But if those five years can be way more nutritious, healthy, abundant lives compared to everything else before that, I think that matters. And I think that makes a big difference for everyone. So that is the message I'm trying to bring to the world. 
And the reason I got into it all is because I saw, like I mentioned, I do live in the United States, but my parents came from Colombia and they immigrated here during the time of Pablo Escobar when there was a lot of narco trafficking and there still is, but not as much. But what we don't talk about as much during that time is how the United States actually came to our country and disrupted it as a lot as well. And it still is doing so. And it's doing so in a way that's harming our environment. It's harm right now the US is harming a lot of our food sources and some European powers as well by trying to monopolize that. And so just that trauma, I guess you can say, I feel like I carry it with me because I just am so tied to that culture. Even though I've never lived there, I have visited. But even then, just knowing that my family is there, that this is what we are suffering through. And this is part of the reason my parents came here. Ideally, we wouldn't have to leave a place if we wouldn't want to, right? I mean, people should be able to travel, but if they're forced to leave, that's different. And so I feel like that really propelled me to do something about it for people living in the United States, in Colombia, and anywhere else that feels like they relate. Just knowing that our environment, our nature in Colombia is so important because we're the second most biodiverse country in the world. So if we lose our biodiversity, we're not just harming you know, ourselves or our animals or our plants. We're harming the, it harms the whole world that relies on all the Amazon rainforest, everything that our oceans produce. So I realized that if I don't speak up for nature and for social justice, combining those two, then we won't get anywhere because we really, again, have to make sure that those links between us and nature are always at, right in front of the center. The reason I have hope is because I do see so many people that are taking action and that looks different everywhere. For me, like I said, it's mostly trying to spread awareness and then volunteer where, it, where I can. I do hope to maybe do more than that one day. So when I volunteer, I usually, it's like at tree plantings, beach cleanups, things that may seem small, but they do make a big difference for not even just that one day. It has a domino effect, right? So for example, the last bleach cleanup I went was with um, Sustain the Mag. And they, we went to Venice Beach. This was like maybe in July, so a few months ago. And when I was picking up trash, someone saw me and they said, oh, like, what are you doing? So I explained and they were like, that's amazing. Like, yeah, I wanna get involved in local organizations like that. I'm gonna start looking some up when I get home. And so maybe I only picked up like, I don't know, 50 pieces of trash that day, which in the long run may not seem like a lot. But if that person actually did go home and then later went to another beach cleanup, that just doubled, right? And so the idea that every small action does make a difference, I truly believe in that. I believe in us inspiring one another, uplifting one another and empowering one another to take the small actions because collectively that makes a huge difference. And so that's why I like tree plantings as well, especially where I live, it's a lot of urban areas. So a lot of trees have been cut down. And so bringing that back to sidewalks, to the last one I went was in front of a school, just thinking how important that is for kids to be able to wait for their parents to pick them up, like under a shade, under a tree, instead of here in the hot sun where we have drought most of the year, that is causing a lot of health issues. You know, a lot of people are, are dying more of heat stroke. So these small things 
aren't just for the benefit of nature again, but for us as well. If you don't like organizing, you can lobby for policies. You can create uh, graphics designs. We know that social media is so important now. So if you're good at that, that's a great way to get into this space. They're just, no matter what your skill is, tap into that and then find your passion as well. For me, nature is so powerful because like I mentioned, I love being outdoors. So that's how I also find when I'm like feeling just super overwhelmed, I just go out for a run and I feel so much better. But it has to be a run outdoors. I can't go to the gym. I won't feel the same when I go outdoors, usually because I see something. If I go, I have the mountains in my backyard. They're like a 10 minute drive. So when I go there, I always find something new like, oh, I didn't notice this tree was here before or, you know, the scenery just changes. And that reminds me, this is, again, what I'm fighting for, to have more places like this so more people can experience places like that. Because I know not everyone can do a 10 minute drive to the mountain or to any nature space. So just, yeah, whatever your passion is, if it's nature, if it's energy, if it's business, we need it in every industry. When people think of environmentalists, I think they maybe think, oh, you need to give up your entire career and, you know, do this huge thing or else you can't do anything at all. And I don't think that's true at all. Whatever job you have right now, if you're in school right now, whatever like community and network you have, as long as you inspire the people around you and do something maybe a little bit every day, that that is going to lead to something. You may not know what right now, but it's going to lead to something and it's going to lead to something important. Whenever I like have to tap into my imagination again, I do this practice that I learned in, in a workshop where I just like close my eyes for 30 seconds and I just think of like, what, yeah, what future do I want to live in? What do I want to see myself doing in 20 years, 30 years? Which can feel like such a long, far, like long time away. And it can feel like the world is probably not going to be at all how it is now. So it feels weird to think about that. But I always find myself, again, because I like snorkeling and like being in the ocean. I always find myself doing that, like just being in the ocean. And then I think about, well, if I want, to be in the ocean with all these like turtles and amazing creatures, then again, I have to protect them. So it's kind of this feedback loop of reimagining what world I want to live in, kind of just sitting with that image, believing in it, having faith in it, in myself to be able to do something. And then that is what propels me to take action. And then it reminds me of, there is just so much that we have to fight for still. Yes, it feels like we've lost a lot. It feels like a lot of what we lost can't we can't bring back but we can bring it back in other ways so all the trees that we may have lost we can plant maybe different species maybe different native species especially but we can bring that back in some way and i like just sitting with myself and grounding myself journaling is a great way that i also just let all those emotions out drawing i'm not good at drawing but i'll draw little stick figures in the garden if i have to remind myself this is what I want to see in the future. All of us coming together and just supporting one another through healthy practices that, that demonstrate our connection to nature. When we think of reconnecting with nature, it's not something that happens in your head, like in your mind or in your brain. It's, it's mostly heart because 
this is hard. It, it nature is not like this nice little thing that you can. Oh, okay, like I'll I'll take care of you. I'll plant this little plant and it'll grow and then it'll be nice. Like no, it takes a lot of like observation. It takes a lot of time, energy. It's a two way thing. Living species, because they're living, they they only thrive if we nurture them. And if we nurture them, we can't do it from like you know our brain, our head. It's not a it's not a mental thing only. It is part it is part mentally, but mostly it's spiritually and emotionally. Especially because things can go wrong all the time. I've had plants die on me. I am not no like expert gardener, so and it's sad. I'm like, well, now I feel like a failure. Like now I feel like horrible, and so it's it's like this roller coaster of emotions, and you really have to tap into that to reconnect with nature because when you do, it it does work out in the end. For me, because I like photography and animals, usually for me it's a sign when I'm like just okay. There are some days where I go out just thinking like, you know what, today it's fine if I, you know, don't see an animal, it's okay. And then I'll see like an animal I've been looking for for months. The last one I remember is a snake. There's a lot of snakes in this area, but I actually don't see them often. And I know people are scared of them, but I love snakes. I love all animals. And I was just giving up. I'm like, oh, I'm not going to see a snake. And that one day I saw one cross the road and it seems like a small encounter and maybe it is, but it just reminded me of when I tapped into that idea of just like being just present, that's when things happen. So being present really is again, mental, but also emotional and spiritual. It has, it has all these elements to it. And when we're talking about something so complex and dynamic as the living world, it's not a linear process taking care and bringing things back is not going to be easy, but the effort is so worth it and the results are so rewarding and we need to keep this going, right? Just because you get rid of a parking lot and then you plant a forest there, you can't just walk away from it before it actually grows. Like you have to make sure it gets to where it needs to be. And then we have to make sure it doesn't get cut down again. So it's a process that's going to last not just our lifetime, but lifetimes after. And that's why passing these values down are so important. The reason I emphasize community so much and community-led and empowering and uplifting one another, like I use those words a lot, is because we, to transform this world and create a new one, create a new society that we want to see, it's going to be, um, as a lot of people say, from the bottom up. Because right now, again, that ego model is a lot of top down. It's a lot of hierarchy. And that's not working for us, obviously, for most of us. And again, even for those in the top, eventually it's not going to work for them. So when we think of bottom up, we have to think of very local, in touch with the local ecosystem, very in touch with how ways work in that area, the culture, the context, because it's great if people want to you know, if I'm here in Los Angeles and I say, I want to help people in Colombia, but if I don't know anything about the area and I just fly over there and then hand them resources and I'm like, here, look, this is amazing, right? What I'm doing for you, but I don't do anything more than that. And then I just leave. Like, how is that long-term climate solution? It's just not. So we know that the people living there and they have more incentive to actually work on these projects, on conservation projects, because they live with the consequences, right? So if me, again, someone just flying in there, 
thinks, oh, I want to restore this forest and I just plant some trees and then I leave back to my home that's overseas or whatever. I don't really have an incentive to take care of anything there because I don't have to live with seeing the trees die. I don't have to live with seeing the consequences of that. So me just being someone, as I said, that loves wildlife and wanted to be, and maybe in some ways I still am a wildlife conservationist, I realized early on the conservation fields can be very toxic if we keep perpetuating these ideas that only people with technology and resources can carry out conservation projects. And also the idea that conservation has to be where we build these national parks and then kick people out and say, you're not allowed in this area. This is wilderness now. And that is how we're conserving it. There are times where we need to protect an area, but if you're forcing people to leave their homes that they've lived in for centuries, for generations on the name of conservation, you're not doing it right. Because most likely those people know the land better than you. They have They know the animals, the living things around you better than you, and they take care of them because they know that, you know, my grandparents relied on this land, so I will too. And they usually have more traditional practices than we who are more technology-driven or whatever. So community-led conservation is super important to me because I don't want to spread the idea that we need to just conserve animals and plants and then forget the human aspect because when we do that, we see that a lot of harm is caused. And actually, it's more, the results are usually faster and better when we actually do community-led conservation. And so usually I've seen this with, there was one interview in particular I had with this foundation called Hirai, H-I-R-A-I, Hirai Foundation in Indonesia. And there's just these three young people, they're like in their early 20s, who started this foundation who are restoring peatlands in Indonesia. And they're doing so by working with the community. And when I uh, interviewed them, they just talked about how being, educating one another, like being with the fisher folk who rely on the rivers in the area, on the peatlands in the area for for their food. That connection instantly was like, oh yeah, okay, I see why it's so important to plant trees in this area because that filters polluted water and we need to to filter that water so our fish can come back so just these these connections that we as soon as we tap into them we really like just they amplify they expand upon each other and that's when we really get to the home of conservation which is community and heart and connection with one another and with the land The podcast is coming to an end. Thank you so much for listening. You can find Terra Stories on Instagram at terrastories.studio and on LinkedIn. If you liked the episode, talk about it around you, share it with your friends. That's the thing that would give the biggest boost to the podcast. And don't hesitate to write me about the topics or personalities you'd like me to invite or address. I wish you a beautiful day or evening. 